You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 8, Nevermind Side B. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritja. And what we do on this show is we talk about the music and history of the grunge rock band Nirvana. Now this is the eighth uh, episode that we're doing and we've uh, made it uh, uh, all the way through uh, Kurt Cobain's uh, childhood, their, um, the early days of the band, um, their first record, Side A and Side B, um, then some interesting stuff happening in between and uh, now we've landed on um, the big breakthrough record, Nevermind. And we're talking about Side B because in the previous episode we've already discussed all the tracks on Side A. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. Or just don't, because that's all the singles anyway. Um, so perhaps this one might be more interesting. And you might hear some songs that you haven't heard before or not often enough if you're not that big a fan or just getting into Nirvana. That's, that's right. And if you have listened to our, some of our previous episodes and if you like what we're doing here, uh, please support us by giving us a nice review or by sharing a link to this podcast on your uh, social media uh, platform by choice, uh, because that way you will help us find uh, more uh, listeners. And uh, that's what we like to do. We like to reach as many Nirvana fans as possible. Yes, definitely. And one cool thing is that we know that we've reached at least one listener from Australia. Yes, that's because great. Because we got an email uh, from uh, from that guy uh, just uh, just this week. Uh, I think we're gonna uh, read and discuss uh, the email uh, at the end of this episode. So if you're from Australia, stay, <laughs> stay with us uh, to, to the end of the episode. But I think uh, it's best first to uh, get going with the music. How do you like this one, Territorial Pissings, uh, for an opener of the second half of the album? Well, I think it's a great opener, um, especially um, because we're getting back more into uh, more rough uh, terrain, basically. Um, it has this, this weird start, which we'll probably <laughs> discuss in a bit, but that makes it intriguing, I think. And it just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great sound and I think it's, it's a great opener. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, we left off uh, last time uh, with a poly, which is uh, like the more um, calm acoustic song. So now we're back in full gear again. Yep. Yeah, I, I like it as well. And it's such an effective song. Once again, it's just the same three chords over and over and over again. Yeah. That's it. There's not even a solo in it and still it's, it's great. It totally works for me. Yeah, I I like 
title as well. Um, I mean, we've discussed Nirvana and titles often. Uh, this is one of those titles that even if you, if you're not into like lyrics or whatever, it sounds cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, it sort of goes with the style of the song pretty well. Like I said, even if you if you have no idea what it's about, or well, again, in in this case, the title and the lyrics don't really match up great. Um, but it just it sounds like a great title, and it's it's it sort of works for me. Yeah, yeah, for me too. Intriguing. Yeah, and I, I think uh, Kurt Cobain has later said that it was meant to be like his statement against. Um, machos and, and male dominance mm. and, and stuff like that which makes sense if you look at the first two uh, first couple of lines you know um, cultures weren't opinions yep. and later uh, never met a wise man if so it's it's a woman by the way that um line about um when i was an alien mm-hmm. it always makes me think of something that he said in an interview that when he was younger he used to imagine that he was an alien and that's probably <laughs> yeah. for him um, that explained for him why he felt so different from a lot of people and not really connected to a lot of other people and that he used to fantasize about how one day, uh, you know, he would meet other aliens who, who were out <laughs> here as well. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah cool. Well, that that's also, I think, a, a, a nice um, a contrast with that, that weird beginning. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's intentional or if that's something that you can read into it later, but if if that's something that is the theme of the song, then the fact that it starts out with Chris singing a song that's uh, called Get Together and about people being friends and, and nice to each other <laughs> and being one big hippie family, um, that's that's a really nice contrast with the rest of the song. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. For for people who don't know it, um, the the part you hear in the intro, that's uh, Chris Novoselic, the bass player, uh, singing um, the the song uh, "Let's Get Together," uh, yep. which is a nineteen nineties uh, hippie song. So uh, let's listen 60s. to that a sixties uh, song. Yep. <laughs> right? uh, so let's listen to uh, to that uh, original yep. song. is a really naive nice sounding (laughs) get together song yeah i i I think they were afraid that they might get uh, problems with with the copyright of that song but nobody ever ever complains so i i think that's probably also because the way chris sings it is (laughs) it has nothing to do with the original i mean he's he's not just like off tune he's entirely off tune <laughs> so there's a there's like a couple of words that you can sort of discern as being this song but other than that no 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 that's that's right i i think it was something that they just you know did pretty spontaneous like oh we need yep. something in the beginning chris here here's the mic you come up <laughs> with something and then for some reason he thought of this uh, of this song um there's also a version out there uh, which doesn't have um, this intro, mm-hmm. because uh, well, we didn't really talk about the different mixes of this uh, of this album uh, yeah. last time, but maybe sure. uh, well, this is a nice opportunity to do so. 
Butch Vig, the producer of the album, he also uh, uh, made uh, mixes of the album, yep. which he was uh, hired uh, to do so. Yep. <laughs> but then uh, later the album was mixed by another guy, Andy Wallace. It's a bit of a vague story, but I, th I think basically they weren't really happy with the mixes that their producer made and the yep. record company thought it could be better. And the band later um, really complained about that. But there's uh, several accounts of people that said that, well, uh, the band itself had uh, complete creative control. And yep. uh, Kurt Cobain is actually the one who picked Andy Wallace to do the mixing, uh, to the remixing of the album. And that he was really happy uh, with it at first. But then later the album became such a massive success and then he complained about how it, the album was ruined because it was made too slick and too sweet yeah. and too commercial. But I think that pretty much happened after it became so successful and he felt uncomfortable with that. And yeah, that's exactly. something he played a little blame game there, I think. He had uh, um, obviously a, a history of, of saying things like that and doing things like that stuff like that also happened with the music videos which we'll get into in a later episode but that whole um balance between working with other creatives like directors and um and producers and on the one hand trusting them and being happy with them because that's their specialty but on the other hand finding it hard to sort of give your work to them and let them work with it that's a delicate balance for anyone and i think that that like you said the insecurities that kurt often had about his work and how it was perceived plus the fact that he i think changed his mind often <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a very clear yeah. pattern that he always um, seems to be very happy and excited uh, about a lot of the things he created at first and then yep. pretty soon after that yeah, exactly. He has second thoughts about it, becomes insecure, and then yep. sometimes really tries to put his work down or blame other people why um, it's not as good as it should have been, something like that. Yep. Yep. But the interesting yep. thing with this uh, mixes is that um, the original mixes by Butch Vig have uh, later been released. Yep. They're called the, the Devonshire mixes. They're on Spotify now because they're on a super deluxe um, release of... Uh, Nevermind, and um, in uh, Territorial Pissings, it doesn't have Chris singing uh, uh, the Youngblood's uh, song. So uh, then it uh, starts like this. I don't think the differences between uh, the Butch Vig mixes and the Annie Wallace mixes are that big. I mean, you can hear that um, the final mixes were a bit more polished and a bit yep. bigger sounding, but it's yep. not that big a difference, I think. No, I think like with this example, you can hear that the, the Annie Wallace mix that eventually became the album version is has a bit more clarity, I think. So I guess that that's something that, that Kurt later on could have been calling like slick. <laughs> yeah. 
But like you say, it's 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 in the details. It's one of those things where I guess it's it's hard to to know how big of an influence those different mixes have been to the success of the album. I do think that I mean Butchvik was he wasn't that big yet back then. It was the start of his career. Um, he'd been in the studio with them for ages and and sometimes in difficult circumstances which we <laughs> discussed back then the idea of having somebody else um listen to his versions and then sort of adding some finishing touches with like a a clear mind and a, a clear ear <laughs> yeah. um i can imagine that 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 probably cleaned it up a bit but like you say there's there the, the differences aren't that huge I think for most people, if they would um, listen to the Devonshire mixes, um, apart from um, very notable differences such as uh, Chris not singing um, uh, Get Together, I think in the sound most people wouldn't really recognize the differences unless they would know what to listen for. I think if it it would come on the radio, nobody would think, hey, that sounds weird. Something's off. You might like feel it without really noticing it or maybe just think that that like <laughs> i mean there's a difference between playing something on on like a full sound system or on your iphone box <laughs> um so so probably it would sound like that difference to people if they notice yeah yeah so um, one more thing I'd like to say about the uh, territorial pissings uh, before we uh, move on to the next track, which is that I really love the line, um, just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you. Yep. I mean, that's, it's like a, a like a, it's <laughs> like a classic one-liner, which, yep. you know, it's something um, um, a stand-up comedian would, could come up with, yep. something like that. After all these years, I, I still like that line. Yep, <laughs> totally so agree. It's, it's a really great line. Yeah, so let's have a listen to uh, Drain You. One baby two, another says I'm lucky to met you. favorites <laughs> and i don't think it's just you who, who thinks that it's it's like a classic favorite that always is is somewhere in the top 10 of of favorite nirvana songs of basically everybody and it's yeah, it's yeah. great yeah yeah they used to play it a lot on the, in their live shows yeah yeah uh, usually like the first or second song in any show and i yeah, I, I can see why, because it's it would be a song that really gets the crowd going, I think. Yeah, yeah, Without definitely. them, you know, having to um, throw in their big hits just uh, at the start of the show. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I know that, that Kurt said on in some interviews that, that he really loved playing this live as well. So it was a definite band favorite, uh, favorite too. So, uh, yeah. I totally yes, agree. It's a really good one. Uh, we just talked about uh, Butch Fig, the, the, the producer. It's not that he would, 
you know, try to make a real underground basic uh, album <laughs> um, because, well, he did quite some uh, trickery as well. Uh, yep. In the uh, classic albums uh, documentary about Nevermind, he, uh, for instance, talks about the many layers of guitars uh, that are uh, on uh, Drain You. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's have a listen to that. Yep. These are the two Mesa tracks. Here's the two basement tracks. Here's the super grunge track. It's pretty grungy. Put them all together. It's got a pretty glorious sound. <laughs> I, I love how he how he talks and if if you're listening to this and you you've never seen him like you've never seen this this classic album thing or or seen him in an interview just look him up online because the the way he like really matter-of-factly talks about Hmm. his work is is great yeah yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely and i really love how he you know um really breaks it down because if yep. you listen to it, you don't. I would never have imagined that it has that many uh, guitar parts no. layered on top of each other. You hear it's a, it's a full sound, but but you don't realize it's that many layers. No, especially because they're uh, uh, at this point as a band, they are a three piece. So yep. if they play it live, you only hear one guitar. Yep. <laughs> and here you hear about five or six six guitars playing yep. the same thing. But I also like about this song we just discussed in in territorial pissings that it it's eventually it started with with kristen singing this song is just and i think i don't know but that might have been a reason for butch Vig on to to do that before territorial pissings there's a a couple of songs on here that just start like that like have no intro or whatever it just starts and i think for this one for drain you it works really well and especially after Territorial Pissings. Like if you hear those two songs, just one after each other, it sort of almost feels like like one song. I mean, they're different songs, but it just they, they just work so nicely together. I think that's really good. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and well, I think we should also address uh, the, the middle part of uh, of this song. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's pretty pretty famous. It's like this, this breakdown part with um, the the weird sounds on it, like the squeaky animals and and, and, and stuff like that. I always have the impression that um, if it weren't for that part, um, this song could have been a big hit single as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Yeah, because I don't think that would work too well on a lot of uh, radio stations. No, they might not want to play it because that part is in it. But if you would have, uh, if you would take that out, uh, I, I think it would be a totally strong pick for for a single. I mean, they they had enough um, good songs um, for for that position. I mean, yep. they're, all, they're, they're all on side A, but of course, smells like Teen Spirit, In Bloom, Come As You Are, and Lithium are really really strong singles. Yeah, but I think this could have been one as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree. On the other hand, the fact that it has that that slightly weird middle part um, also makes it send out, I guess. 
Oh um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I love that part. I just yeah. think that it, it would, would be a reason why it's, yeah. it wasn't uh, selected uh, to come out as a, <laughs> as a single. Maybe we should um, have a listen to that part. Yep. And then afterwards, I want to play you a version of this song which uh, doesn't have it in it. And instead, mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a solo. So first, uh, so everybody knows what we're talking about. Let's have a part, uh, uh, let's have a listen to that uh, middle eight. So uh, know that uh, that uh, that scream he does at the end mm -hmm. of the of the uh, the breakdown part is pretty famous amongst fans, and uh, a lot of fans even have like a a, a favorite drain you scream, <laughs> and they know in this or that nice. concert or recording right. session or oh, I didn't know that radio uh, performance um, that that's that's the best uh, drain you scream. <laughs> Oh, I should, I should, I never thought about that. I didn't know that. I should go and find my own favorite one then. Yeah. Well, a, a very popular one. A um, not really, but when I heard about this phenomenon, I start to think about it. A very popular one and one that I really like is the one he does on um, French television. Mm -hmm. They had a performance a bit later on in their career. Um, it's the performance where they all wear uh, uh, suits. Oh, right, ties, right. so they yeah. look really, yeah, yeah. really uh, dressed up. It's when uh, Pat Smear just joined the band, and then right. during the breakdown, um, Kurt had problems with his uh, guitar, so he, he he threw it down. Oh, right. It's one of the very oh, right. few occasions where you that can one. see him sing without yep. a guitar, and he's holding the mic in a, yep. in a stand, and then he does a really great scream, probably because right. he was a bit frustrated um, <laughs> by the guitar uh, problems. Oh, um, so any, uh, anyway, I, I promised you um, a little part um, of uh, Drain You in which uh, the breakdown uh, part uh, isn't there and it's replaced with a solo. Yep. Um, so let's uh, listen to that and then uh, talk about that just a bit more. And, uh, <laughs> and then we go on to, uh, to the next track because we have quite a few left to talk yes. about. <laughs> say that wasn't actually Nirvana. <laughs> no. Uh, that were uh, the retards. The retards, yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the original, um, <laughs> well, the, the origin of this song, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because r right before they went into the studio to record the album, Kurt Cobain and um, Dave Grohl, they ended up at um, 
uh, Dale Crover's house, mm-hmm. who had been their drummer before and uh, helped them out on several occasions. And they started uh, jamming with the three of them. And D- and Dale's girlfriend, right? She's, oh, I didn't know that. Could yeah, be. apparently. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, she was there and apparently she did something as well, but I, I can't remember exactly. Okay, I, I thought I'd it was Dale, Dale Crover on drums, Kurt mm-hmm. on vocals and guitar, and Dave Grohl on bass, I think. Bass, yeah, I think so. They and might this, switch it up a bit, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and at this point, Kurt, for some reason, didn't think this was um, Nirvana's song. and But he did want to make a demo out of it, so they just started uh, jamming on it. And it sounds pretty good, I must say. The solo isn't that great, but it's, it's fun to hear this... Uh, this yeah. version, I think. Well, you can you can hear he's he's improvising it, um, and and not just improvising the solo, but also improvising the solo for a song that that is still sort of in development. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that weird. But the interesting thing about that um, uh, origin of this song is also that, in fact, uh, Dale Crover is the one who originated the drum part because um, uh, he played drums on this one and apparently was also the one who thought of, of how to do the drum parts. Mm. Um, and they were, they, were, they were copied, adjusted, whatever, by Dave. But Dale's part in this was, was actually quite big, which you can't see on the track listing, but yeah. No, I, I, I don't think he ever got paid for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Poor, poor Dale. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think he did all right. Yeah. Um, oh, one one more thing. Um, I've read somewhere that the working title of this song uh, was Formula. Hmm. Well, that fits with the, taking that, that that first line about the babies literally, because yeah. Formula is is baby food. So. Yeah. Or it could refer to that he thought it was like a. A song written by a strict formula? Mm, could be. Or isn't that proper English? I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, just, it's, uh, it's just because of because of the. I mean the, <laughs> the the whole the whole baby thing in the first line is also so uh, because of of the image on the sleeve of of the album that word sort of stands out, even though it can mean not just like a small child, but just a friend or a lover or whatever. Um, but that sort of sticks in your mind. So that's why Yeah. that's the first thing I, I would think of hearing the title formula that yeah. sort of ties in with that. But then again, when they made this song, they didn't have like the album cover yet. So true. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't really matter. I just wanted to uh, uh, show off uh, <laughs> a little fact that I know. It, it, um, it is interesting, though, because, again, getting to those titles, Drain You, this is a song that has actually has a title that uh, has words that are in the actual song. Um, true. <laughs> if, if it had stayed formula, that wouldn't have been the case. So, yeah. yeah true. So, um, on to the next one. Yep. Yeah. 
think uh, yeah, the big star of this song, Lounge Act, is, uh, is Chris with his yep. bass line. Definitely, definitely. And this is, um, it, it, it feels like um, sort of the, the, the love bus of this album. Um, Explain. Sort of a, um, because it has that, that same sort of feeling that Love Buzz has to me uh, because of that, that, that bass intro and that sort of slightly soft 60s feeling. So it feels like a song in kind of the same vein, even though they're obviously internally different, but they feel the same to me. Yeah, sure. Um, you want to listen uh, a bit more closely to what he does on, uh, on the bass? Yep, yeah, definitely. Okay, so here we go with just um, Chris's uh, bass part. And then, uh, let's add uh, the vocals. I can't let you smile on me. I like to, but I couldn't work. I'm treading off and taking turns. I don't regret a thing and I got this friend you see Makes me feel and I want it more than I could steal I will rest myself for where I should I go out of my way to prove I am That 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 would have been an interesting mix as well when you hear it. Like <laughs> thank you, this. thank you. <laughs> Just live mixing. Um, <laughs> no, but that that hearing that bass and then just the voice, um, and then getting those drums later on, that would have been interesting actually. Yeah. But then again, I mean, there's lots of songs that that build like that, so it's been done. But yeah. Still. Yeah, that's I think true. I, the, the reason that that it also feels like that is because, like you said, like the bass is is the, the star of of this song. But on the other hand, um, I really like Kurt singing on this one as well. Um, so those two are really complementary in here. Um, yeah, that's that, that's true. Um, do you like um, the first part of the singing where he keeps it calm and, and you know, he's actually singing or do you like the second part of it better <laughs> where he goes more into screaming mode? Um, I, I, I like the first part most because um, he, he doesn't do that often enough, I think. Um, but the reason that the first part is so good is also because of the second part. So I, mm. I think that they, they, you need them together. Um, or do yeah. you? Because um, <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because there's an, uh, an alternate take in which he uh, sings it more um, controlled all the way through. Oh, oh interesting. Have you That's ever heard that, that version? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I might have, but... Let me introduce it uh, to you. Yes. Uh, 
still think that um, the song benefits from him um, using both um, vocal styles in it? Yeah, I think so because um, I mean, this it's hard to say because obviously you know the other version so well, um, but like the the song builds um, and um, the instruments build, but also the lyrics because there's a lot more repeating of lines um, at the end. Um, so him him keeping it down feels out of sync with the intention of the rest of the song I think um, yeah, but makes like sense. I said yeah but like I said it's also it's it's always sort of <laughs> because you know the other version so well it's hard to but yeah. I, I think that that I prefer the the official one yeah I think I think this is an interesting you know it's, it's, it's fun to have an alternate take which is actually really different yeah yeah you can hear them try out several things before they yep. decide on what, what works best yep. yeah yep. and also of course there's some other lyrics on it yep um i believe it's, it's not really clear um, i can't really understand all of them but i, I think he's uh, mentioning uh wet, wedding the bed again which he did <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the on the on that song of uh, of bleach as well mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he took it out <laughs> it doesn't really work for me no no, it's uh, it's a bit too um, it's 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 so literal that that it's yeah it's an imagery that that it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb I think yeah <laughs> yeah true and in the final version I think the the lyrics are mostly about his uh, his ex girlfriend mm-hmm. and this is one of the rare occasion um, where we actually um, admitted and talked about what the song was about. Yeah, and I think he even I'm, I'm not sure if he said it in an interview or, or maybe he wrote it in one of his journals that he didn't like playing this song because of that especially oh, yeah. not when his uh, his new girlfriend and future wife uh, Courtney Love would be around but right, I, I think right. they hardly played this one live yeah I, I to be honest um, um, apart from maybe his his personal feelings about about the song and the lyrics even though I like this song, I think um, in a live set, this would be the song where you go to the bar to get some more beers. Um, not because it's not a good song, but sort of because it's that song that you know nothing really special is going to happen um, when they play it. And you can sort of like bob your head to it all the way to the bar and then come back and, and be ready for the next song. I yeah, that that's because it's the type of song that a lounge act would play. <laughs> exactly, that's true. So the, the title is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So shall I hit hit play uh, for the next track, or do you have anything uh, to add about a lounge act? No, let's uh, continue. Okay. So uh, here we go with "Stay Away." Oh, 
think a lot of people uh, consider this uh, the weakest track of the album. Do you, do mm -hmm. you agree? I think as um, as part of the whole album and and the, the place that it's in. Again, uh, like I said, territorial pissings and drain you to me is is like the perfect pairing. Um, I think lounge act and then stay away is a really good pairing as well. It sort of fits together. So in sort of the whole scheme of things, it works. On the other hand, this is sort of the song where you're like, okay, I hope next song is going to be better. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe the short answer bit, is yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a bit too too simple or, or something. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that, that's not really the case because well, Territorial Precincts is probably the simplest song on the albums and I love that one. Yeah. Right. You know, also lyric-wise, stay away. I mean, it's a bit, you know. Yeah, it it's, it feels it's a bit, a bit like, too easy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of it. I mean, it's it's always um, annoying to to use that term, but it does feel like sort of a a filler song, which I I mean I find that um, um, I don't like saying that because I mean as an artist you're making an album and and you're putting songs on that 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 you love and that you want to get out there to to your fans yeah. so obviously as a band you're not going to say like oh oh we have like 12 songs uh we need one more uh let, let's just put this one in i mean so the whole i'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that happens but um yeah, but, they, they had yeah. enough songs they had exactly. i think they had so, better songs yeah. at this point that yeah. could have been on there yeah so so for some reason they did decide that this song should be here in this spot. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's like an, an okay song, but I, yeah. I can't imagine that it's anybody's favorite. No, I don't think so. It's one of those songs like that, at least for me, I sort of tend to forget. And then when I hear it, it's like, oh yeah, that one, that's nice. Um, but then I forget it again. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not a standout uh, standout track. Although there there's some nice uh, things in there uh, as well, of course. Um, I like his uh, vocal performance um, yep. towards the end. It's pretty uh, yep. pretty intense. I mean, yep, especially uh, yeah for the for the last part when yep. he does uh, this. So there you have it. <laughs> and also with the isolated vocals, you can uh, hear really clearly that he morphed the lyrics to God is gay at the end. Yep. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people picked up on that um, no, when the album definitely. came out, which is probably for the better because it <laughs> yeah. would have sparked some controversy. But uh, I, no, I think that was a line he used to uh, spray paint when he was young yep. on, on yep. cars and walls and stuff. Yeah, apparently. And, and it, um, well, it rhymes with stay away, I guess. So I can, yeah. <laughs> I can it, see why, why that popped up in his head. <laughs> yeah. And it also uh, rhymes with pay to play. Ah, true. <laughs> which is the original title of the song. Yep. Because there's a, an early demo version. Where I think we've played that 
like two podcasts ago, so we're not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But originally he used to sing uh, a pay to play, play yeah. referring to the practice where bands had to um, pay a venue in order to um, get a chance to perform. Yep. Well, we know each other from doing an improv a theater, so we're very uh, <laughs> familiar with the practice. One. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one more thing I'd like to share uh, about uh, this song, and that's, uh, that's a cover version by... Uh, uh, Charles Bradley, which came uh, out on a, on a tribute uh, album uh, later. And I really love the way that they make a totally new arrangement and, and version of this, uh, of this song. So uh, we're going to have a, a short listen to that. And then uh, I think we're done with Stay Away, right? one on a plane yes. I think uh, uh, a lot of people will also uh, know the um, version of this song that's on the Unplugged album mm -hmm. which is pretty different I think yep which yeah. one do you prefer oh that's a hard one I think they they I, I mean I like them both I I think I prefer this one yeah let me guess, yes. because there's more harmonies in it. <laughs> now, they, they do the harmonies on the Unplugged version, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I, the Unplugged version is, it sort of feels like when you hear that one, it's like, oh, this really works. Like this is like the un Unplugged works for this song, yeah. which it does. But then you go back to the original and it's like, no, no, this is better. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, because I think because it's it's sort of like the unplugged version feels like like it should be like that, but this one feels feels um, it has some more originality to it. I think for some weird reason, which I can't really put my finger on. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I think I like this version better as well. It has a bit more of a, a punch to it. So Definitely. yeah, it's a bit more uh, more energetic. Yep. So uh, I like it better as well. Although the um, the lyrics come across a bit more, uh, a bit stronger on the unplugged version, I think. Yeah. Well, which I th 
suppose makes sense because the music is isn't that loud, so yeah. there's more uh, focus on the on the vocals. Yeah, but uh, you you mean that in a positive way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, because like my my one pet peeve with this song is that like I I like it very much until he sings I'm on a plane I can't complain and then I'm like no please <laughs> don't this this was like a good song and then sort of the um the the, the main thing that he that he repeats over and over again is like um musically it's least interesting and 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 lyrically it's like I mean, he does a lot of rhyming and stuff like that, which I don't mind, uh, which works. And then here, for some reason, it it just annoys me. Yeah. I I I I would love this song much better if that would have been different. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, just to. Yeah. I think the song's better than than having that sort of trivial thing in there as yeah. the main line. Yeah. So, so, so every time you hear him sing, um, I can't complain. Do you think, hey, wait, you should have uh, a new complaint? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it never bothers me that much, but I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. It's a bit, yeah, too straightforward or a bit yeah. too too easy or simple. I don't know. Yeah. 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 But, but I, 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 I do like. Um, the rest of the lyrics in which he, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as he does uh, quite a lot, he um, has a lot of meta comments on songwriting. Yep. Uh, maybe it's a bit too much to have uh, uh, that in Stay Away, you know, every word ends in rhyme, I don't know why, and stuff like that. And yep. then here exactly. again, it's no time to make it uh, to unclear and write off lines that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's uh, the best combination of two songs uh, going back to back. But uh, yeah, I, I do think this is a fun song. It, ha- it has a, like an original approach to um, to writing a rock song, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I also think this is the most REM-like song they ever did. Um, even more than um, All Apologies? Yeah, to me, this is this is more REM. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it has to do with um, um, it has to do with the, the harmonies. It has to do with uh, the the tempo of the song. All apologies is is slightly slower. Um, this one is more upbeat, which is which is more like especially the the earlier REM stuff. Like if 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 you hear us talking about this now and you only know like. Um, uh, losing my religion, or or uh, night swimming, or whatever, or um, everybody hurts. Song? Everybody hurts. Um, go back like about five to ten years before that, um, because they made a lot of albums before that as well. Um, um, that have I won't say a distinctly different sound. It's still REM, um, but it's more. Um, um, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. To hear their earlier work, uh, especially if you like Nirvana, um, because it's slightly more guitar-oriented, um, less slick, I think, 
Um, and this is definitely a song that that sounds like that more early days REM. Um, and and I know the band was. I mean, Kurt Kurt liked REM. The rest of the band as well. I think they had some some. I mean, they 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 were in contact as well. I think at one point. Um, yeah. But they also like had like Kurt would comment a lot about how he didn't want to sound like R.E.M. Um, <laughs> that was one of the bands that he mentioned often, like, no, that's not what I want. Um, well, I, I, I think he was, um, maybe he was a bit uh, afraid to to be become like a R.E.M. ripoff, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, he must have realized that even though R.E.M. is a different kind of band, um, also because of the, the like the combination of instruments and stuff like that. Um, they both share a love for like well-written melodies within a guitar setting um, and a love for like 60s sounds and 60s harmonies, but in a modern way. Um, so there is definitely um, a sort of a, a, um, a, an overlap between that. Um, but even in their earlier work, I mean, REM were, were never, they were more guitar oriented, but they were never as heavy as, as Nirvana was. So I think that that perhaps Kurt was afraid that um, their work would be smoothed too much um, and sound too sweet. Um, yeah. But I think that the interesting thing about this song, I, I, I would have loved to hear an REM cover of this one because I think it would oh. suit them as well. And also, Kurt's voice at the start of this song even sort of has a bit of a sound alike with Michael Stipe's voice um, in in this kind of songs. So yeah, there's to me there's a, a real overlap there, which I find interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, in the in the beginning of the podcast when we talked about uh, the mixes of this album, I know that uh, Scott Litt, uh, who was famous for producing REM. Mm-hmm. was on the list that Kurt could uh, yep. pick uh, so, yeah. somebody uh, from uh, to, mi- to mix the album and he didn't want to have Scott Litt because oh. he didn't want to sound like R.E.M. too much. Exactly, yeah. Interestingly yeah. enough, later for the next album, they <laughs> did work with Scott Litt yeah. to do remixes of some of their songs, but uh, that's, a, that's a different story. But yeah, it's an, it's an interesting um, combination, Nirvana and R.E.M., because there's a lot of... They, they had contact uh, with each other, um, they respected each other, but yep. well, at least from um, Kurt's perspective, he kind of wanted to keep his distance. Yep, yeah, for I think some so. some reason or another, yeah. So uh, let's, uh, to finish off um, uh, on a plane, let's listen to an early version of this song, mm-hmm. which has uh, different lyrics, but, um, well, Unfortunately for you, <laughs> the, the I'm on a plane, I can't complain is still, uh, still there. So uh, it's, it's kind of hard um, to make out the words, but they're definitely different than what ended up on the album.
cut short to do you a favor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I do like the fact that in this one, like he's obviously still looking for the best lyrics, yeah. but the line he sings out loudest um, is one of the lines that is in the, the definitive version as well. L love myself better than you. That yeah. I mean, <laughs> the rest of it is like mumbling, but yeah. it's clear that that line is is definitely one that he likes because yeah. and, he doesn't and, mumble that one. <laughs> and I heard a voice. Yeah, he sings it pretty voice. clearly yeah. as well. Yeah, but the, yeah. The, he replaced that with a different line uh, yeah. later. So, um, are you ready for the final track, or is it the or final is it? track? <laughs> yeah. Here's uh, something in a way. Close the album, I think. Yeah, it's perfect, and it has that. Um, like, remember, I said in in the previous episode that one of the things I liked about "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is that it has this sort of weird open ending where everything sort of well, it doesn't reverb, but you hear sort of all of the sounds fading away for a couple of seconds, so it feels like it's. It's not really closing off, but it's still somewhere up there. Um, this song has that as well at the end, but maybe even during sort of the entire song. Um, so to me, that that make it the perfect bookends for this whole album. Yeah, and it sounds so haunting. I think. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's as intense as the hardest rocking song on this album, but then. In a just very mellow way, yeah, which makes it even more um, spooky, I think. Yep, yeah, and and obviously um, the 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 cello coming in there is is awesome. I mean that I I they they didn't really I I think it's to me it's a bit unclear how that sort of happened, but eventually <laughs> the guy with the cello came in and played his part. Um, uh, but it, whoever thought of that, it's it's like a perfect addition because it's so um, subtle. Yeah. Um, and you you if if you don't know a lot about musical instruments, you wouldn't probably like you wouldn't recognize it, but you would just hear like there's something there's like a different element in here, but I don't know really what or how or what it is or. And that works perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, let's um, try to illustrate that a bit by listening to just the vocals and the cello. Mm. 
about this song because I mean I think most people know this that it was horrible to record this yeah <laughs> um, and eventually like all of all of the harmonies the overdubs are, are Kurt himself and eventually like he did it solo and all of the, the band members had to play their parts later on um, yeah. but because Kurt just did it solo and and apparently it was take like 300 whatever um there wasn't like a clear tuning and a clear timing so it was really hard for the rest of them to to play along to that and when you hear this like the cello isolated like that you can hear that a bit as well um uh sort of trying to find the exact the exact note and the exact timing um and part of me wishes this could have been done like perfectly but on the other hand it's the whole the whole fact that it's it's not perfect that also makes it so good yeah <laughs> so it's it's yeah sort of I, 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 I think it's it's perfect just the way it is i mean it's slightly um out of tune uh, every now and then uh, like you said the, the, the tempo isn't that tight but I think it all adds to the atmosphere of the song, which is yeah, the most important thing of it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, the, the song has this weird combination of being both scary and comforting at the same time, which mm. I think is really special. Yeah. And also there's a bit of, well, it's not really myth making, but the whole line about underneath the bridge, um, especially back in the day when hardly anybody knew uh, Nirvana and Kurt Cobain and the way they were presented and then he was singing these lyrics. It did lead to a lot of people believing that he actually lived under a bridge. Yeah. He even uh, said so himself uh, in interviews sometimes. Um, yep. But uh, just to be, to be clear, uh, he never did. <laughs> Everybody no. uh, who knew him back then uh, agrees that he hung out under under the bridge, but he never actually lived there or no. slept there. No, no, but it's 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 a nice image, nevertheless. And and um, there's also this this weird tendency of 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 fans and journalists of trying to to make stuff autobiographical uh, and and liking it if if something is it has really happened to to the writer or the singer um 
so um, I can't blame Kurt for keeping that myth because it's it's what people like as well like singing and writing about what has happened to you sort of to a lot of people feels authentic and journalists are are interested in that um so yeah 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 and, and he was into creating his own myth and uh, well I, I think uh, way back in the very first episode we did in which we discussed um kurtz and also a bit of a christ uh, childhood in uh, in aberdeen um uh, I think we talked about how he didn't always, you know, uh, was truthful in his statements mm-hmm. and in his stories and his interviews, but in a way he did speak his emotional truth. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, you know, this is about living under a bridge. It's probably about um, feeling alone and isolated and forgotten and yep. uh, stuff like that. So I, yeah. I, I think that's where it comes from. Exactly. And that's more important than the fact that he didn't actually live under a bridge. I mean, in a song, you can <laughs> you can tell stories and yeah, yeah. There's there's lots of singers who have never written songs about their own childhood and are still really successful. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but I, th- I think well, when Kurt wrote this song and when they recorded it, there was no way that they could have known that. Um, it would become a, a million-selling record, yeah. and every lyric would have been, you know, analyzed and <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. And, yeah. So, um, but I, I think it's kind of kind of interesting how just one song uh, with just a couple of lines makes such an impression and really influences the way people perceive the singer. So. Um, well, you might say that this um, is the end of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in two ways, I think uh, uh, the final part of this album really set the template for many albums to come uh, in that period, uh, yep. which is first uh, ending with the uh, slow acoustic song. Yep. A lot of bands uh, copied that. Uh, and then also following uh, it up with a secret track. Yeah. Because there's a hidden track on it. Um, I think and that, imp- that, that that's also um, I think interesting to notice that that um, uh, we've been talking about side A and side B and vinyl, um, <laughs> but the search of the hidden track was also because of uh, the CD player. Yeah. Yes, people, it's time CD players finally. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was easier to have a hidden track on there, and there were like. Um, I think a couple of years later, but still there were so many artists who who just like threw a secret track on their CD just because they thought it would be fun. Um, and you'd have that CD playing for like 20 minutes after the final song. And then eventually, I think there's... I think the record is like 40 minutes after the last song before like something new happens. Back then you had those CDs that that had like double layers because they weren't as good as they were now. So they needed like double layers for more songs. Um, so it became a whole hype. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks to the to the to the CD. Um, and actually, Nirvana were I think one of the first two do this not the first but probably not well in, in a way it's a um he um kind of um 
copied the Beatles. I mean, yeah. when the Beatles Obviously. were making their records, um, the CD hadn't been invented yet, but they did like to make jokes um, yep. <laughs> like this on their albums, yep. on the finals. Like, yep. um, well, there is a, um, more or less a secret track on uh, the Abbey Road album. Yep, true. Yep. Because there's a song, or well, a song, like half a minute song, um, <laughs> exactly. that isn't um, mentioned on the on the sleeve of the album. Yep. On um, Abbey Road, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's on on Abbey Road. Yeah. Um, and also, they, they they like to mess around with stuff like that. You know, exactly. to, they wanted at one point wanted to add a really high tone that only dogs could hear. <laughs> really? At the end, I think of the right. White Album and well, things like that. Yeah. Um, and also, Kurt apparently took um, inspiration from his personal life. Yep. Um, he used to tell the story that when he was living with one of his friends, he used to um, get a cassette tape. Uh, for the younger listeners, uh, Google oh, uh, what a cassette is. Um, <laughs> and then uh, um, he would have a completely uh, silent uh, recording on a cassette. And then yep. after like half an hour, he would record like a creepy voice, like, I'm coming to get you. And then when they went to sleep, he just uh, put the cassette on play yeah. so you wouldn't hear anything <laughs> for 30 or 45 minutes and then the voice would come up and then yeah. <laughs> uh, he tried to scare his friend uh, that, yeah. that way. And basically, um, this is the same thing because uh, it ends with a really mellow song and then the hardest, noisiest song of them all uh, shows up. <laughs> exactly. So, um, want to have a listen to uh, Endless Nameless? Yeah, let's do it. Because that's the song uh, uh, that we're talking about. six minutes yeah yeah um although um <laughs> it does uh but it it does have its its different sections i like how it it like it starts out all heavy and shouty and then all of a sudden it's like oh wait there's like a melody in there as well um it shifts yeah. to like a more melodic thing um and then at the end it it's really experimental um so it has sort of different different styles in there i mean it's it's clearly one big experiment i know they like to do stuff like this in the studio also also live uh so i think it's sort of it says a lot about the kind of band they were and wanted to be um on the other hand it's also one of those things where you were like yeah, 
okay, you can, yeah, <laughs> you can, you can put this on there, sure. Um, but yeah, would I, would I miss it if it weren't there? Nah. It, it's not a track that I like to play a lot, and I no. don't. I'm not sure if it's meant to. I mean, it's it's, it's the secret track. It's like a bonus thing. Exactly. Maybe it's also. Um, a reminder to their early fans that even though they made a more accessible album now that they could still be experimental and hard rocking yep. and and noisy exactly. and that yep. they're st- basically still the same band yep. but they're just highlighting uh, a different side of them yeah yeah definitely like and what I've always found quite interesting as well is that um, um, on the original album um there are only two songs that are attributed to all three band members, and that's this one and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, So um, I think that also says something about um, their connection on tracks like this. Like I said, just jamming with each other and and making music. I think that that's also the duality that that the band always had. On the one hand, it was Kurt's band and and he wrote the lyrics, he wrote a lot of music. Um, He decided how and what and when. Um, But on the other hand, they were also musicians who just really like to make music with each other and with others. I mean, we've, we've heard uh, a lot of uh, examples of that, of Kurt jamming with people and stuff like that. So I think that this is also a sort of a, a sort of a legacy track that just says like, this is, this is what the three of us can do. Uh, and, and especially again, if you compare that with the only other song that all three of them are credited on, which is Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is the opening and the biggest the biggest song yeah um it's sort of a nice touch i think um yeah I that agree. says a lot about the band yeah and um they did the mixing of this song themselves yep yep true yeah apparently uh, uh the producer said well you know you guys <laughs> do this one <laughs> exactly just you, you know what you're doing apparently <laughs> yeah and it doesn't have to be perfect you know just you know this is you as a band and uh, have, have fun yeah. with it i think yeah that's and the, i think that that's something that you can also like you can you can hear that in the track um there's a lot of experimenting going on but you can hear them um having fun with it and and also um being really um in tune with each other um that's pretty clear so yeah yeah. i I think it's just one take i believe um that uh, they launched into it one uh, one time when especially Kurt was frustrated when he couldn't get things right for recording another song. I believe it was Lithium, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and sometimes they would just, you know, blow off steam by either playing 70s hard rock cover songs <laughs> or, um, well, a noise jam like this. Yeah. I don't, I don't think um, any recordings of those uh, cover songs exist. At least I've yeah. never heard of them, but... Uh, yeah, they, they decided to uh, to do something fun with uh, with this recording, and uh, and it's not just a one time thing. I mean, they've played this song on uh, uh, live shows. There's yep. uh, a radio performance in on, on which they play it, so it's not a completely um, freestyle no. one once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> no, that's no. not what I meant to say. I meant to say just like no. a, like a one time only. 
no, jam. No, no, it's, it's no. It's more or yeah. less a song, or at least yeah. it became more or less a, a song, which had just a lot of room for um, improvisation and experimentation. So I think exactly. uh, I think that's it. So anything that we haven't touched on about Nevermind? Ah. Uh. Probably lots, but I think we went pretty in depth on the songs. Um, there's a lot more to say about the album in general, but we will get to that because I mean, in in next episodes we'll talk about the release and the music videos and and all of that stuff. Um, so we'll leave that for later. But yeah, I think. Uh, as far as the songs themselves are uh, concerned, uh, I've I've said everything I wanted to say. So how about you? Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I didn't even take notes for this one. So uh, well, the good thing about sure. that is that <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, the good thing about that is that I don't have a lot of things that oh I forgot to say about this oh. or that. Oh no, it's, it's not entirely true. I've, I've got one note. I mean, people <laughs> listening to this can't see it, but you can on the on the, on the webcam. I wrote down Endless Nameless, mixed by the band. Well, I mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, but um, like you said, there's, there's a lot of um, things to, left to say about this album, but that mostly has to do with the, the major impact it had on yep. the world and of course on the band itself and, and everything that happened right before and after the release of uh, uh, this album, we will talk about um, in our next uh, podcast. So yes. I hope you will uh, join me uh, once again uh, to talk about that. Yeah, definitely. And I hope everybody uh, listening to this will tune in again and join us. Um, if you have anything um, to say, or maybe you want uh, we made a mistake somewhere you want to uh, correct, or maybe you have some uh, interesting remarks about uh, this album, uh, or you just wanted to say hi, please um, send us a message. You can do so um, on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash Nirvana podcast, you will find us. Also, you can send us an email on SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com. And um, there's actually a listener who did that. Uh, his name is Matt and um, he wrote us uh, last week. Are you still working on this podcast? Because it's great. I don't know why a million people aren't hassling you guys for more content. Totally has taken me back to my youth. I've only got one episode to go and then I'm up to date. Peace from Australia. So thank you, Matt. We love receiving messages like that, not just because we love to be complimented, <laughs> but also because uh, uh, we like hearing what you think. If you think we're wrong about something or we're missing something, uh, do let us know. I know some people have been sort of doing some messages to us via Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Um, so feel free to comment there as well or send us a message and uh, we'll definitely get back to you. And uh, thank you again, Matt. Yeah, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you, Yudetja, uh, for, uh, for uh, being on the show again. Yes, thank you for having me. As always, uh, I'd like to thank uh, piano player Joep Hullegi uh, for uh, playing our theme music if you want to hear more uh, Nirvana songs played on piano just go to Nirvana Piano on 
Um, well, uh, several podcast uh, platforms. I think the best one would be either uh, YouTube or SoundCloud. Just search for uh, Nirvana Piano, and you'll find uh, Yoop, who was uh, kind enough to let us use his uh, um, piano version of uh, Aneurysm. So, um, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening, and till next time. Bye. Bye.